Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith, and currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 35. We're in a new chapter now, roughly two-thirds of the way through the book of Genesis. Making progress. I'm so glad to be done with chapter 34, I just got to tell you. That's just such a black eye on the whole story, you know? I mean, the whole rape of Dinah and the annihilation of the Shechemites by Simeon and Levi. I mean, if I was making up the story, you know, I'd probably leave that kind of stuff out, you know? If it was my family, I'd probably not want to tell you the dark secrets of the bad choices that have happened in my family. But you know what? That's one of the things about God's Word. We get to see that these people that God chose are not infallible. And it gives us hope because we don't have to measure up to their standard. We have to measure up to God's. Oh, wait, that doesn't sound very good, does it? No. With God's help, right, we can be used by him to do anything. And we're all just fallible creatures, whether they're the patriarchs or whether they're the people in this room like me. We all have our failures. Chapter 35, then, is where we're going to begin. Looking back a little bit, obviously we talked about last week, that was the whole Shechemite story. Right before that was Jacob coming back into the land. He chose, though, to settle near Shechem. That was probably not the right neighborhood for him. I mean, when he left the land, he was in Bethel. God met him at Bethel. That was the first time God appeared to him. That was kind of like the springboard of what God was doing in this man's life. And then he comes back to the land. You would expect he should be heading back to Bethel. Instead, he gets waylaid in Shechem. But we're going to see today as we look at verse 1, chapter 35, verse 1. Somebody mind reading verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So God is appearing to Jacob here. This is the fifth time that God has appeared to Jacob. And in this fifth time, God says, You're in the wrong neighborhood. I want you to go to Bethel. Remember where we met? Go back to where we met. God is instructing him to go to Bethel. Bethel's not far. Bethel's 20 to 30 miles from where he's at right now. Basically a one-day journey. For some reason, Jacob decided to stop and camp near Shechem. For how long, I don't know. It seems like some time had gone by. And nothing but bad came out of that. That was a bad situation. I mean, Dinah got raped. The town got slaughtered. Now uh, Jacob's concerned that the surrounding people groups are going to come and amass themselves together and annihilate Jacob and his family. So it was a bad situation. God now appears to him for the fifth time and says, go to Bethel, make an altar there. This is actually the first time that God has actually appeared to a patriarch and commanded that an altar be built. We've seen Abraham build altars. We've seen altars being built, but this is the first time that God is commanding it. Kind of interesting. And then we also see that Jacob is continuing to follow the route that Abraham, his grandfather, had followed. In leaving Ur of the Chaldees, the route that he ended up entering the land and coming to this place, Bethel, is much the same route that we see Jacob following now. So he's going back to Bethel. And I'm sure that he hasn't forgotten that that's where God appeared to him for the first time where God made promises to him, where he made a vow to God. In fact, if you want to look at those things, go to chapter 28. Chapter 28 is where we have the picture of that happening. 
chapter 28, when God appeared to him, we have the words over there in verses 13 and 14 and 15. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth and shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And we fast forward to this time and this is all fulfilled. God kept his promises. And then looking at verses 16 and following, this is Jacob awakening. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Verse 18. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, all of which he did do, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So Jacob made some vows. He basically said, if you'll take care of the things that I'm concerned about most, then you'll be my God. You'll be my God, and I will give an offering to you. I'll give a tenth to you. So we are now at that point where he needs to get back there. God has fulfilled his promises, but Jacob, he's hanging out in Shechem. It's time to get to Bethel. All right, get back to where you first met God. If you're looking at your fill-in-the-blank forms right there, that's your first one. Get back to where you first met God. Some of the authors and commentators suggest that Jacob is in a place of backsliding or disobedience. I don't know that we can read it that clearly through what we're looking at here, but it's something to consider. Maybe Jacob is in a place where he's backsliding or or complacent or, or disobedient. Or maybe he's just stagnant. We get to places in our lives where we just kind of stop on our journey. We we make progress in our life with God, and then we hit this plateau, and we just kind of stay the same for a little while. And it takes something to rattle us to get us moving again. And maybe that's what's going on in his life. I would suggest that it goes on frequently in our lives. We need to be aware of stuff like that. We need to be aware that we got to keep moving toward God. So he needs to get closer to God. He needs to get back to the way he was. He needs to repent. If he's living in unrepentant sin or if he's stagnant, he needs to get moving in. Get back to where you first met God. Sometimes, like I said, we're in a place where we go, how did I get here? I shouldn't be here. Spiritually, where am I? (laughs) Spiritually, I should be somewhere else. I should be further along than I am. How did I end up where I am spiritually? I need to get moving back to God, closer to God, keeping God in my focal point, keeping God as my guiding light or my star that I need to continue heading toward. Revelation chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 gives a warning. And in that particular letter to the church, the warning is you've left your first love. And you need to repent and come back to your first love. And I don't know if that is a perfect fit for what's going on in Jacob's life or if that's maybe something that we just need to be reminded of. Jacob needs to get back to where his first love is. He needs to get back to Bethel. And maybe if there's something in our lives that that might be a reminder for, we need to get back to our first love. We need to repent of those things. So what does it look like when you're now resolving to get back to God? When you're now resolving to get back to the basics, if you will. Verse 2. Somebody mind reading verse 2. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, 
Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Excellent. Thank you. So get rid of the foreign gods that you have among you. Some of you have the get rid of the strange gods you have among you, or some of them might even say get rid of the gods of the stranger. All right. They've got false gods with them. They've got idols. Where did they get these? Do you remember any place they could have got these? Shechem. Shechem. They could have got them from Shechem. They just looted the whole city, right? They killed all the people in the city. That was a city that wasn't worshiping the one true God. So they probably had their own individual household idols that they were worshiping. Yeah, they could have got them from the Shechemites or the pillaging of Shechem. Where else? Didn't Rachel exactly. take some from... <laughs> yep, exactly right. Rachel took some house. from her dad's house, right? Do you suppose uh, from what we've read about Laban, was Laban wealthy? It sounded yes. like Laban was pretty wealthy. So it was probably some pretty fancy gods. Usually you would you would acquire gods that were in proportion to the wealth of your household. If you were a poor, common household, your gods might be made out of clay or maybe wood. Laban had some wealth, so his were probably pretty expensive gods. They were probably made out of precious metals, maybe silver, maybe even gold. So usually your household gods would be in proportion. They would be made out of materials that would be in proportion to the income of your house, all right, or the, the estate of your house, if you will. Yeah, so Rachel took the gods of her father, and you remember that created a big problem. And it could be that this might be the time that Jacob found out about that. God's appearing to him, saying, get back to Bethel. He's like, oh, dear, okay, God's going to meet me as soon as I get there. It's one day journey away. We need to get straightened out. And maybe he doesn't know that she stole the gods. We, we're never told that he actually ends up finding out. But I'm thinking if you hadn't figured out yet, when Rachel comes to get rid of the gods, there's going to be a little, what? <laughs> Honey, what are you doing to us? All right. And then also they left Mesopotamia and they took servants with them. All right. You remember they were not just the wives, but there were the concubines, if you will, or the servants of the wives. And there were probably many attendants that ended up coming along with them. So there may have been some gods coming along with them as well. So they've got gods. They've got idols. Jacob knows about it. He's finally making something of it to do something about it. And he tells them, he tells all who were with them, put away the foreign gods, the strange gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. This getting rid of the gods that are among you, we have similar language in the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, Joshua, you remember, he's the one that took over for Moses, that God appointed when Moses passed away. And near the end of Joshua's life, the very last chapter of the book that bears his name, Joshua, he's admonishing the people. These are the most important things I can tell you. And among the most important things he says <laughs> to them is get rid of the foreign gods. So we're looking at that story several hundred years of this story. And they're still having an issue with foreign gods being a pollution in their lives. And people know about it. I mean, Jacob, obviously, he knew about it. He, he knew about it. He was just living with it. Just kind of put up with it. Just tolerating it. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, maybe I'll deal with it tomorrow. <laughs> Sometimes we do that in our own lives. Sometimes we know about things in our lives that have a grasp on us the gods in our lives, and we don't wrestle with those things and get it taken care of. Today, we put it off until some other time. And we get comfortable letting it exist in our lives when it's a god in our life. It's vying for the attention of the one true God. You remember the Ten Commandments, right? Exodus chapter 20, what's the first one? You shall have no other gods before me, meaning no other gods. God says no other gods. He will not share his glory with a competing god. And even in the words of Jesus, you can't serve two masters, all right? And in that case, what's the competing God? In that one, it's money, all right? You're either loving the one true God or you're loving money in that particular situation. In that particular story, he's saying your competing God to that group was money, all right? So, yeah, they've got competing gods. 
He's finally taking issue with it. He's finally saying we need to get rid of these things. And he says purify yourselves and change your garments. If they need to purify themselves, that sounds like they got defiled somehow. How have they been defiled? Well, they've got these foreign gods that they're keeping around. How else might they have been defiled recently? Touching a dead body can defile you. Can you think of any touching a dead body that happened lately? Yeah, over in Shechem. They killed the people in Shechem. And then they looted them. They took their clothes. They took their possessions. They took everything that was of worth. Yeah, that would defile you. How about being raped? That whole situation with Dinah. That defiles you. So this this language here is admonishing a person that's in a position, a, a status, or, or a condition of being defiled and getting reconciled, getting clean again. Purify yourselves. Change your garments. It symbolized the removal of everything that was unclean and sinful. Another place where the language of washing your clothes is in Exodus chapter 20. And Moses is meeting with God, and God tells Moses, you need to go down and give the people these very important instructions. And the instructions that he gives Moses to tell the people are, wash your garments because I'm coming. I'm going to be there in three days. I'm going to be showing up on the mountain, and the people, you need to know, they need to wash their clothes, they need to purify themselves, and they need to not touch the mountain. They can't even touch the base of the mountain. Because my holiness will consume them, basically, is, is the message. All right, And so Moses goes down and he tells them, this is what the Lord commands. He's going to show up in a big way in three days and we need to cleanse ourselves. We need to purify ourselves. We need to be ready for his arrival. We need to be ready to meet God. Wouldn't that be the same for us? We need to be ready to meet God. Are we ready to meet God? Wait, I'm not sure I'm ready to meet God. My garments are dirty. <laughs> what would Jesus say to us? Well, then get clean garments. How do you get clean garments? You exchange your dirty ones for the ones that he has to offer. My garments, I, I can't clean my own garments. They're so stained. There's nothing I can do to get my garments clean enough to stand before God. But Jesus has a wardrobe for me and says, you know what? I've taken care of it. I've already got these clean garments for you. Take these clean garments. Take off your filthy rags. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. Take off your own righteousness. Take off your dirty garments and put mine on. Put my righteousness on you. Put my clean garments on you. And we're prepared to meet God. All right? Kind of interesting to see that. When God shows up on the third day, all right, in that story, there's lightning, there's thunder, there's an earthquake, there's a trumpet. And I can't help but think that maybe it's going to be similar when Jesus returns. What do we, we hear? Is lightning from the east and the west? Oh, there's going to be a trumpet. Oh, you know, the earth is going to... It sounds like it might be similar. <laughs> are we ready to meet God? If we have Christ, yes, we are. If we don't have Christ, no, we're not. And we won't be without him. Verse 3. Somebody might read in verse 3. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So he's testifying to the people that are around him. He's telling them, if they haven't heard it already, of the goodness of God, that God met me so long ago. He's taken care of me. He made promises to me. He kept his promises the whole time. I even imposed upon him. I had concerns. I said, God, I've got these concerns. How am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? He took care of all of those things, and we're coming back. It's time to get back to God. It's time to meet God again. And then verse 4, somebody might read verse 4. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had and the rings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak which was near Shechem. 
Excellent. Thank you, Levette. So he takes these gods, right? They surrender the gods. It doesn't sound like there's much opposition. They surrender their foreign gods, their strange gods, the gods of the strangers, the gods of the foreigners. They surrender them to Jacob. And what does he do with them? He puts them on a shelf and worships them. Is that what he does with them? No. What does he do with them? He buries them. He hides them. He buries them under this oak, this great tree by Shechem. So they bring their gods and they turn them over, but they also bring something else. What do they bring? Earrings. That's kind of weird. He didn't ask for earrings, but they brought earrings. And some of the commentators uh, have a field day trying to figure out what's the deal with the earrings. And then there was an archaeological discovery from about that time and about that place. It was an earring that has an inscription of dedication to a goddess from the third period, about 2000 BC. So we're talking about an earring that's basically saying that this wearer belongs to a goddess. All right. And so now it makes sense. We're going, oh, that's connected. It seems to it seems to fit. So we've got these gods. We've got these earrings that seem to uh, have something to do with idolatry. And uh, they're being buried there under the tree. These trees, uh, some of your translations will say an oak. The New King James Study Bible notes say, The terebinth tree is a long-lived deciduous tree such as an oak. The tree has red berries and leaves shaped like feathers. Because the tree lived a long time, ancient people often used the terebinth tree to commemorate important events or to mark places of worship. And then Robert Jameson says, Jacob hid them under the oak or terebinth, a towering tree which, like all others of the kind, was a striking object in the scenery of Palestine. You can imagine it's pretty barren, so this tree stands out. And then it says, and beneath which, at Shechem, the patriarch had pitched his tent. I'm not sure that's exactly what happened, but there is that possibility. If you're traveling, if we're traveling, when we go camping, when we go out to the desert to Joshua Tree, we prefer a spot with shade. (laughs) All right? So I'm thinking Jacob naturally might be drawn to a place. If there's more shade, hey, I get the place under the big tree. You guys can have the places out in the sun. (laughs) So I guess that makes sense if he, he could have actually had his tent under this tree. So isn't it nice, though, that we don't have to deal with gods nowadays? I mean, this is all ancient history. You know, the, the little idols and whatnot that they had back then, that really, we're, we're past that. We don't have to really struggle with that. I mean, this whole thing, this struggle that he's having, it's really nothing that we have to endure. I brought in a little box over here. I brought some visual aids, and I want to pass some of these around. What did the gods back then look like? These are probably not the actual style that they had back then, but something similar to these. These are actually old gods, I would propose to you. All right. This one I broke. I know. I broke a god. Oh, dear. Isn't that funny? You can steal gods. You can stuff your gods in the saddlebag. You can sit on your gods, and I end up breaking a god. And here in this story, they're getting buried. Apparently, these gods are rather impotent, right? They don't have a whole lot of power. It seems to me just like a clump of clay. That's about all they have. Yeah, they basically are. Yeah, that one is Egyptian. I think the other one doesn't look quite as Egyptian, but I think it still is. I found these one time at an antique store. Did you? And I I know the proprietor of the antique store. And people will call him and go, hey, I got some old stuff I want you to buy. And he goes and he looks at it. And when he brought back the stuff from this particular house, it was amazing stuff. Amazing. He didn't know what it was. He went to Christie's, that auction house, and they were like, Oh, wow, you know, over the stuff. And for whatever reason, he didn't auction it off at, at Christie's. And he just put it in his own store in his own case. And somebody came in, bought $50,000 worth of stuff. Another guy came in, bought $100,000 oh, worth of stuff. God. So I'm like, I want a few pieces. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I ended up buying these. And this one wasn't broken when I bought it. But I got some other really interesting things. A signet ring on a wax seal. 
a bit of the book of Esther. I think I showed you years ago that one. There's a three-position lamp and whatnot, but just some really interesting stuff. I don't know what the history is of these. I haven't looked into them much, but I've always held them waiting for the day to teach this lesson, right? <laughs> I needed them as a visual aid. That's why I bought them. So these would be ancient gods that we don't have anymore. We don't keep these around our house. Um, by the time of Jesus, I would propose to you this would be vying for the position of a god. This is a denarius, a day's wage. And you remember the story of Jesus and the denarius, and you know, yes. hey, Jesus, you know, is it proper to pay taxes to Caesar or not? You know, and he's like, well, give me a denarius. Show me whose inscription's on it. So they bring a coin, and he shows it, and he says, whose image is on this? And they say, well, it's Caesar's. He says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's then, and render to God what is God's. So that might represent kind of a, a competing God in the days of Jesus in the you know, first century. Uh, you have a day's wage there. Something more modern, a day's wage, a bar of gold. It's a one-ounce thing of gold right there. Can you imagine that that might have a similar place in our life as being a potential god? Yeah. Something that people might worship, something that people might devote themselves to? Yeah. Or, you know, if you want to, you can say, well, you know, maybe this is a representation that we're a little more familiar with. You know, the almighty dollar, right? <laughs> Look at Javier. He's like, yeah, he doesn't really care about the gold, but he's like, but this dollar. <laughs> No, it's not. This, you know what's funny is I didn't even think to bring these things in until it was like 10 minutes before I was supposed to leave this morning. I'm like, I need some gods. It's that day. I get to bring those. And then I thought, oh, I should bring some other ones as well. And I was hoping to find 100. I don't have 100. just sitting around. It's silver. It is. It's actual silver. So this was a day's wage back then. Whereas the gold bar represents more a day's wage now. How much is so, this worth right now? Do you know? Right now, it's worth a lot more than I paid for it. Uh, it's worth twelve hundred. Oh my gosh! So yes. I, this is twelve hundred bucks for this. So okay, a little more than a day's wage. <laughs> Quite a bit more than a day's, several days wage. When I bought it, it was only a day's wage. What else do I have in here? Uh, how about? Yeah, they got all kinds of good remote control. I should. There's so many things we could bring in, right? Here's here's something that for some people is a god. For some people, this might be a god. Chocolate. Chocolate. It looks like chocolate. Yeah. It is actually chocolate. Oh, am I stepping? I'm stepping on toes now. All right, chocolate. If you're my 13 uh, year old daughter, if you're my 13 year old daughter, this might. This is a, a little iPod music. You know, so she's got her music on one of these. Medals, recognition, fame. All right. How about uh, education? A little tassel from on top of your graduation. You know, education might represent a god for some people. Tennis or golf? Sports? Sports? Could be a god. How about... Uh, 16 years old, my first driver's license. When you're 16, you want... That's your God, right? Oh, wow, that's what I... It's a lot lighter weight than I am now. I mean, that to most teenagers, you know, after the iPod, it, it's the driver's license. You kept it so good. You kept it, yes. How about uh, what would this represent? Maybe strength or weight or fitness. Yeah. I don't know that I need to put back a little bit. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I'm, I'm so changed. What else do I have? How about um, investments? This, my grandparents gave that to my daughter when she was born. A little investment, something that she can redeem later when she gets older. So investments, or uh, maybe retirement. 
Social Security, looking forward to the day. Oh, Social Security could take care of me. Maybe that becomes a God for people to get their affections set on, you know, the future and, and being taken care of with Social Security and whatnot. Um, how about uh, the deed to a house? For some people, that becomes their God. What else do I have in here? Oh, my wallet. Oh, dear. Oh, wow. oh. Could that be a God? Credit cards. Get yourself in debt. Buy all kinds of gods with that. Oh, here's a, here's one. Uh, yogurt land. Uh, that's, that's, I better put that away. <laughs> yeah. You know, so just little illustrations of different kinds of gods that we have here. Some of you have heard, I'll tell you who your gods are. If you show me your calendar and your wallet or your checkbook, right? You probably heard that. I'm not the first one to tell you that, probably that you can tell where a person's devotion lies when you look at what they've spent money on and what they've spent their time doing. That that could actually reveal, are there any gods in your life? And you go, wow, I've been spending a lot of money in this category. Maybe that's my god. Maybe that's vying for the attention of the one throne in my life that the one true god should be sitting on. And we end up finding out sometimes without realizing it, we've allowed competing gods to creep into our lives. We've allowed false impotent gods, gods that can be broken, gods that can be carried, gods that can be stolen, gods that can be stuffed in a saddlebag, gods that can be polluted with menstrual filth, or gods that we can carry in our pockets, or gods that we can buy with credit cards, or gods that we can devote our attention to or subscribe to magazines that espouse the different gods that we have. We have the same issues they had back then. It's just the gods look different. The gods look different. I would say the second one there says, today's gods rarely look like figurines. The second one there that you're filling in. Today's gods, and I would say little g, today's gods rarely look like figurines. But we still have issues with idolatry. We still have issues with competing gods. God, the one true God, hasn't changed. When he says in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name and my glory, I will not give to another nor my praise to carved images, that hasn't changed. When Jesus said you cannot serve two masters, that hasn't changed. We have different gods all vying for our attention. We need to be careful about how much grasp we allow them to have in our lives. Because none of those things in there are gods in reality. The strength is only in how much we allow it to take control of our lives and our thoughts and our devotions and our affections and how much money we might spend on the pursuit of different things, right? So I held up a tennis ball. Playing tennis is playing tennis, all right? It's good, healthy activity. But if you allow it to consume you, it can become your God. Almost anything can become your God. Even church ministry, even children, I mean, things that are good, wholesome, healthy blessings from God, if you devote yourself to them more than you devote yourself to the one true God, those things can compete for that throne in your life. We need to be careful about that. I have here the next one. Exchange your filthy garments for clean. How do we do that? Well, I talked about it a little bit. 1 John 1, 1.9 is a great verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we have sin in our life, We're not to hold on to it and go, oh dear, I should really do something about this myself. No, you should get God involved in it. You should confess your sins to God, repent of those sins. And what does it say? He'll cleanse us. Cleanse your garments. That's one way you can cleanse your garments. Surrender your sins to God. Repent of your sins. You remember the first message of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, his message is repent. 
And you're like, wow, that was kind of harsh. Repent. And then Jesus comes on the same one. John the Baptist is arrested, and Jesus' message is repent. <laughs> it's the same message. It would be the same message for us today. We need to examine ourselves, ask the Holy Spirit to walk through my life. Holy Spirit, look for any dark corners that competing gods might be hiding. Show me what, what I need to deal with. All right. So look to expose those things and deal with those. And then finally, the last one, bury those old inferior gods already. Bury those old inferior gods already. What do I mean by that? What does that look like? Oh, it's a challenge. I give you a challenge this week. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal somewhere, somewhere in your spiritual life, is there something that has too strong a hold on your life? And if there is, make an actual effort to bury that thing. What do you do, though? When you bury something, it's dead, right? So it needs to become dead to you. You bury it because it's dead to you. I remember in high school, I had this moment where I needed to kill a god in my life, and I needed to bury it. I came back from uh, summer camp. went to summer camp and uh, met God in a, in a powerful way, and I felt like God was saying to me, in that time, in that space, you need to deal with the music in your life. For me, it was music, and I didn't even think of that as a competing god. But God said, that's what you need to deal with. Remember the old cassettes, you know? They'd break and you'd tape it back together. You know, or you'd stick your finger in it, you know, to wind it up because it got stuck in the player or whatever. So I had this whole collection of cassette tapes. And we had the old-style fireplace in our house, you know, where you actually burn wood. And I took them and I made a tower of my cassette tapes. And I had a little space at the bottom that I stood to like that. And then I just stacked the rest up. And I put some paper in there. And I let them I, – I burned those things out. I probably polluted the whole city with the smell of, you know, plastic burning and whatnot. But you know what? That's what I needed to do then because that music had such a stronghold in my life. I tell you what, that was obedience and I was supposed to do that. But now – because I've broken the hold of that in my life, I can actually still listen to some of the same music, but it doesn't have the stronghold that it used to have on me. And for somebody else, it wouldn't be a stronghold at all because we all have different areas that we're drawn to. We all have different affections or devotions. Now, that was a long time ago, and there's been lots of competing gods that have stepped up to take the place of my music. And I've had to be very careful. I had to go through a period where I had to cancel magazine subscriptions. They were magazines that had to do with hobbies. So I would get these magazines, and every month, a new magazine would show me all the stuff I didn't have that was in the area of my hobby. I need one of those. I don't have one of those yet. Ooh, that's a better one. And then I start setting aside money to put into this pastime, this hobby. It becomes something stronger than it ever was intended to be. I had to cut that off. I had to bury that God. Maybe there's something in your life. Get rid of those gods already. Bury those old inferior gods already. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that your word is never changing, and it's because you're never changing. You are an unchanging God. And God, sometimes we wink at living with competing gods around us in our lives. And uh, we pray that you would help us to have that moment like Jacob did, where there's a resolution that this is the end, this is the last day, these things need to be gotten rid of. Lord, if there's something in our lives that we need to get rid of, we pray that your spirit would shine the light in the dark corners of our lives and say, there's one right there. This is, this is the one you need to deal with next. And we pray that you'd give us the courage and the fortitude and the strength that we're going to need to take down some of these gods and to bury them, Lord, to finally break the power in our lives of those things and, and to put them away. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right.